0: Hi, my name is Saul, and this is the story of London. In the last part, I looked at the prologue of this tale, basically everything from about 6,000 years ago until the coming of the Roman Empire. And I have a confession to make before we even start this episode. When I started planning this series, I imagined I'd be spending a few parts going over the history of Roman London, and getting into the meaty details of the things that happened. But as I did more and more research, I realised that, no, for reasons that I hope will become obvious, the story of the Roman settlement of Londinium, the first version of London, it'll all get done in one episode. Why? Well, I'll let the story tell itself, shall I? And so, without further ado, the story of London reaches its second chapter, The Birth life and deaths of Londinium. No, the city that will eventually be called London was first settled and created by the Romans around the year 47 of the Common Era. The earliest attempt to create a Roman port was probably born out of a legionary stopping point, a shelter fashioned to cover the river crossing. The bridge was to come in time, but not just yet. The soldiers, having crossed the river, would need a fort to protect themselves, and let's be honest, Roman legionnaires loved building forts. We know the first version of Roman London grew up around this fort and remained when the soldiers moved on. This version of London, however, didn't last very long, nor was it considered very important. Proof of this was exposed most brutally less than 15 years after it was founded. When Budicia and her Iceni tribesmen descended upon the region in the year 60, filled with fury and fire, the Romans thought nothing of abandoning the place and leaving it to be destroyed, even if it did mean a few civilian deaths. The first attempt at Londinium then failed after less than 20 years, and its only legacy is a smear of dark earth which you can find if you dig deep enough into the soft clay of London. That line marks the place this first Londinium died, an unwilling sacrifice to the gods of pragmatism. Afterwards, when the smoke cleared and the fire just became embers, the Romans rebuilt the place. This new Londinium, however, was a very different type of creature. Celandinium wasn't the only Roman settlement destroyed by the furious Iceni. So had the nearby community of Colchester, which had been designated the capital of the Roman province of Britannia. When the Emperor Claudius had ordered the invasion of the island and the Romans had taken the subjugation of 11 native kings, this included Britain's most powerful tribal confederation, the Trinovantes. The Romans had wanted to both flatter and awe them by building their first great Roman fortress in the Trinovante stronghold of Colchester and designating it the capital of the province. But with the destruction of Colchester, the savagery of the rebellion of the Britons and a new regime in Rome, it all meant that as they planned to rebuild, priorities had changed. This was the Emperor Nero's Rome. They didn't see the need to keep their old capital, to keep with the old administration's decisions. If the old policy had been any good, the Iceni wouldn't have butchered so many people, hmm? And as such, the Romans began to look around for a new location for their provincial capital. Londinium seems to have been at the top of the list from the get-go. It had many advantages. For one, it was the nearest point to the sea that the Thames could easily be bridged. Additionally, unlike Colchester, seagoing ships could reach London and offload their freight there. And finally, London could be a new build, with no tribal political baggage or previous regime implications to take on board. This new version of Londinium, then, was protected at first by a giant fort, which was located around where Cornhill is today. It was built out of earth and the remains of the previous Londinium and stood a staggering 125 metres long by 90 metres wide. As well as providing shelter for the new garrison, its initial main purpose seems to have been to provide a safe place for the people involved in rebuilding the settlement. It held between 500 and 800 troops, both legionnaires and Roman auxilia, some of whom seem to have been local Celts serving loyally under Roman command. With the fort in place, the settlement could be born anew. This new Londinium, with its massive fort, was safe and secure, and as such, the city grew very quickly. Over the next 15 years, it was to experience massive levels of investment, to make it an all-Roman showcase, a large forum was constructed along with public baths, an amphitheatre, major port facilities and temples. Londinium grew very quickly, so much so there was an unprecedented increased demand for residential and commercial real estate. Eventually, by only the year 75, so just within 20 years, the Romans seemed to have decided to accommodate the growing numbers of people by moving that giant fort from Cornhill to the far northwest of the community and indeed by one hundred thirty, we know a new fort had been erected in the part of London we now call Cripplegate. We believe that this new version of Londinium became crucial to the province, because as the Roman legions marched north over the next 80 years, endlessly pushing back the boundaries of their newest province, endlessly expanding the frontier, some archaeologists maintain it was likely that most of the legion's military hardware was channeled into Britain via those new docks in London. This vast and quickly growing military logistical operation grew so fast they required civilian help. Quickly, private vessels were subcontracted by the military and became the basis of a large-scale civilian mercantile trade fleet, something that Londinium, and subsequently London, was to be forever famed for. In time, this hub became a thriving metropolis of as many as 60,000 souls at its height, according to some estimates. It would see emperors come and go it would see intrigue and conflict. A score of local Britannic pretenders would proclaim themselves Caesar and don the purple and march out and most would die. But not all. Londinium was the capital of the province that had first proclaimed Constantine the Great Emperor of Rome, and even when he was building his vast new capital of Constantinople, he rewarded the province for their loyalty with lavish investment and gifts. Indeed, the era between 320 and 340 is often seen as a golden age for the Romans in Britain, especially for Londinium. And yet, for me, and you can criticise me for this, this wasn't the London we know. It may have inhabited the same space as the city that was to come, but... It was a Roman city in a Roman province, part of Roman culture, part of the Roman Empire. It wasn't native, it's like a Starbucks or a McDonald's suddenly appearing in a small, sleepy English village. It is something foreign, it represents something alien, it doesn't belong. Despite later historians' attempts to suggest Britain was some kind of natural development on from Rome, the land and the nations which arose on them and have remained since have almost nothing in common with Rome. Londinium wasn't our London. In fact, at times towards the end of Roman domination, it wasn't even called Londinium, seems to have been known as Augusta. No, London as we know it. That place came later. I know it seems arbitrary and perhaps it's annoying for some that I dismiss the Romans so quickly out of hand but I do so for reasons that will become obvious I think and as such, as much as I personally would love to I don't know, tell the tales of Magnus Maximus or Constantine III this is the story of London and those amazing slices of history really don't add to that story So, please, forgive me for beginning this story and by chapter 2 making a controversial decision like this, but ultimately I feel, very deeply, that Roman London really only left a few things that matter for the rest of the story of the city to come. The first was the walls of London, built over a century after the city was established. Now, we don't know the exact date of their construction or the exact reasons, but their creation spoke of the changing and more troublesome geopolitical reality of the reign of the Emperor Commodus, when northern Pictish tribes were having fun rampaging south all over the province. These walls turned London into a fortress, something that was to become very handy as the years went by. The second legacy of Rome was the basic street patterns, some of which have remained in London to this day. We have found evidence that Roman farmers in the early days had spent long years reclaiming territory from the marshy river Walbrook, and these areas had become settled and then urbanised as time went by. Added to this, you had the quayside and the docks of the city cementing its place as a location built upon trade. This also meant that the islands south of the bridge... ...the little pockets of solid ground in the South Bank's otherwise marsh-infested region... ...also experienced Roman occupation and settlement... ...beginning the area we today call Southwark. And indeed, the final true legacy of the Romans... ...was the bridge, the great bridge over the Thames. This made the city behind the walls strategically crucial... This was the best and easiest place to cross the river. These factors were to play a part in the birth of the city we know today. And yet, that only came after the Romans had left. As such, we just need to spend a little time talking about the last era of Roman rule. You see, fundamentally, Londinium died. Again, it went extinct this time, but in the final years, we get little hints of what was to come. Now, the decline of Roman Britannia is an insanely complex and complicated series of events, which is simplified for British school children as follows The Romans said they would send no more troops, and the British were now on their own. The actual story would require an entire podcast series just to do it justice. In truth, Britannia and its capital Londinium had been in and out of the Roman Empire for centuries leading up to the name-break date of 410. It could be argued that the whole thing started all the way back with a person called Claudius Albinius back in 193. But we know that Roman Londinium had been part of a series of schisms and divisions from Rome. And from the end of that golden era of Constantine in 340... Had quickly descended into a fractious relationship with its parent civilization. From 365 until 410, it was Roman still, but control was lost and regained every few years, it seemed. It was an era of vast geopolitical instability, whose only saving grace was that, surrounded by the sea as it was, it was getting off lightly compared to the madness going on in the continent. This geopolitical instability meant that many Romano-British towns, including Augusta or Londinium, began to decline over the next few years. The economy of Britannia basically collapsed, especially during the 370s, and so much so that by the end of that decade, coin importation into the province basically ceased happening. Such economic conditions would cause infrastructural difficulties, and the very concrete fabric of society would begin to fall apart. And we see this. Several of Londinium's public buildings slowly but steadily fall into a state of malaise and disrepair. At the same time, the Augusta or Londinium port started to show signs of rapid disuse, probably caused by the barbarian takeovers of many of the provinces they used to trade from. And this is worth mentioning and worth keeping in mind that from the word go, Londinium was a place favored by merchants. The river provided good anchorage and easy access to the sea. But crucially, here we see an important lesson that was to repeat itself many times, that the fortunes of those docks was dependent upon stability, not just in the city and the surrounding area, but on its markets overseas. With strong, formal Roman control gone, the whole place didn't fall apart overnight. Far from it. But power shifted from those who had authority because society said they should, like administrators and political appointees, and moved to people who had authority because they had men willing to fight for them, or the money to employ such men. Romano-British culture became increasingly militarized as men with loyal soldiers began to run things, and yet the number of soldiers had dropped dramatically. We know that the province came under increased threat and attack, but the truth is Britannia had long faced almost constant attacks by tribes like the Brigantes and the Caledonians from beyond the Great Wall of Hadrian and from the irish who raided across the dark waters of the irish sea but we also know that even as the place was unraveling that life tried to carry on we know that those who had money lived lives of luxury and plenty indeed archaeologists have discovered that within augusta or londinium a small number of wealthy families continued to live life high on the hog Their lifestyles were still clearly markedly Roman. They maintained rich villas in the southeast corner of the city and continued to seemingly play top denarii for high-quality luxuries. We know ecclesiastical records suggest a church synod was held in London in 429 to condemn the followers of the heretical British monk Perlegius. The settlement was still functioning then, but eventually something happened. Something killed Londinium. Some say it was plague that reduced the population to a level where it could no longer maintain itself. Writing many centuries later, the Venerable Bede claimed that after losing a battle against nearby Saxon raiders, the population had just fled. But whatever the case, by around the 450s or so, Londinium was mostly a deserted wreck sat beside the river. There was supposedly a large Christian church on Tower Hill and this burned down and acted like a symbolic representative of the city behind it. Londinium was dead like those lost cities we find in the deserts of the Middle East. The fine tiles on the roofs of the villas began to collapse, walls would give way, weeds, and then shrubs, and finally trees began to seed and find root and fill spaces humans used to live in. Well, we cannot and will not say that no one ever lived within the crumbling Roman walls during the next era, I will say, and we can prove with some degree of certainty, that no significant number of humans lived in London for some time. Londinium was dead, and London was ready to be born. And that's the end of part two of the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this and feel so inclined, please leave a like or an upvote or A good review, or whatever works as a positive affirmation, as these things impress the algorithms that run our world. All hail our machine overlords. Coming in the next part, we start to get a bit more focused in our tale, as the story of London finally arrives at the settlement that was to become the foundation of the city we know today. In Chapter 3, Welcome to Ludenwick.